0: Let's take a while this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Genesis 31 this morning and just read from verse <clears throat> 17 as we begin. It says, Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and wives upon camels, and carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Pandan Aram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. <clears throat> and let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we can gather together uh, this morning uh, in this place and, and online around your word. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning you would, Uh, Teach us and instruct us uh, through the passage that's before us. Give us understanding of your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower me now through the Spirit. as only you can. And that, Lord, everything I say would be your words this morning. It would be your thoughts. And that, Lord, we would be uh, refreshed and blessed by your word this morning. And that we would leave uh, singing your praises and giving all glory and honor unto your name. But we pray you bless now this time in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, last Sunday we saw uh, Jacob now finally uh, receive clear instruction from the Lord that it was time to leave uh, Pandan Aram, leave that region around Haran, and to go back home to Canaan. Of course, Jacob had been there for 20 years all up, 14 years serving for his two wives, and then six years serving for the cattle or his herd. And through all those years, as we saw last week, he had patiently, faithfully labored. Now, no matter what Laban did to him, he continued to faithfully serve. Now, Laban, as we saw, what well, we've seen many times, treated him deceitfully, treated him terribly, changing the terms of their agreement repeatedly. But Jacob remained meek and faithful in his service of Laban. It was only when God finally came and God said to him, It's time to leave, that Jacob actually made a move. As we saw last week there in verse 3, <clears throat> it says, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. It was only once he received this clear instruction from the Lord that he now made a move uh, to leave and to return. Home and the first thing he did, as we saw last Sunday, was he prepared his family for this move. He went and talked to his wives and and he rehearsed in their ears all the blessings of God, all that God had done for them. You now we saw a godly father, a godly husband, taking leadership in the home, leading his family to see the goodness of God. And then we saw his wives submitting to that leadership and agreeing to follow uh, Jacob as he would uh, do the Lord's will and return home. To Canaan, And so we finish with verse 16 last Sunday. It says, For all the riches which God hath taken from our fathers, uh, from my fathers, sorry, that is ours, and our children's, now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. And so he has the support of his wives. They say to him, do what God has told you to do. And this morning we see Jacob and his family now set out on this journey back to the land of Canaan. And of course, this journey is not going to be without problems. There's problems ahead. There's things he has to face and overcome. But once again, what we see is that God proves himself to be faithful, doesn't he? God proves that he is with his servants and that he's taking care of him. He's watching over him and that he's in control through it all. And so first of all, here this morning, we see Jacob's departure. We see his departure. Read me again, verse 17. It says, then Jacob rose up. And set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Panadanam, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. <clears throat> Having discussed this situation with his wives and heard their agreements that they will follow him, they're, they're supporting him in following the Lord's will, Jacob now wastes no, no time, does he? He doesn't waste any time in seeking to obey and depart and do what God has told him to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says there in verse 17, then Jacob rose up. Those words rose up there. Uh, speak about the, the enthusiasm and the haste here okay, with which he does this. He hears the instruction of the Lord, he prepares his family and then he rises up to obey. There's enthusiasm, there's haste here about his actions. There's no time wasted. At the very first opportunity presented, he obeys the Lord. Now, one commentator noted concerning his departure, he said, we may suppose he had been long considering of it And casting about in his mind, respecting it. But when now at last God had given him positive orders to go, he made no delay, nor was he disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now that's the reality here. Now that he has positive orders from God to leave. I mean, he longed for this for years. But now that he has positive orders from the Lord, he doesn't delay. He seeks to obey at the very first opportunity. He obeys the instruction of the Lord. And so we see him here in verse seven and 18. <clears throat> we see him gather everything together and depart. Let's just read it again. It says, "Then Jacob rose up, set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in PandanAram, for to go to Isaac, his father in the land of Canaan." And so we read of him here gathering his family together. He puts them upon camels. And he gathers all of his herds and all of his possessions, everything he has gotten in this time in Pandanaram. All these things he acquired from the deal with Laban. He gathers those things together and he sets out on this long journey. And the statement there in verse 18 where it says he carried away all his cattle, uh, could probably be better translated, he drove away his cattle. That's the idea. He's driving his cattle now, his, his herd, his sheep, his goats. He's driving them before them on this journey. And so this would have been quite a sight to behold, wouldn't it? You know, Have a think about it for a moment. This large group setting out with the herds in front of them on this journey back to Canaan. What a contrast this is to when he arrived 20 years earlier. Remember when he arrived, he was on his own. He had no servants with him. He had no caravan with him. He was on his own. And now 20 years later, and after God's hand of blessing upon him, he leaves with this large caravan. He leaves with all of his family. All his sons, his daughters, his four wives. He lives with camels, with servants, with belongings, and with these vast herds before them. This would have been quite a sight to behold, wouldn't it? And it's not something you can hide either, can you? This is a large group. You can't hide this departure. It's hard to go unnoticed. But it's made possible he's able to leave unnoticed because Laban's away. Verse 19 tells us that. And Laban went to shear his sheep and Rachel stole stolen the images that were her father's. We're told that Laban, he's away. This gives Jacob here and his family the perfect opportunity. Laban is away shearing his sheep. Now, if you remember back in chapter 30, Laban had separated his herd, okay, and he'd given Jacob care of the, the main section, but he'd put the others in the care of his sons, and they were three days' journey away, okay. It's that herd that he's away shearing, okay. He's with his sons. He's shearing this herd, And he's enjoying the festivities that go along with the the shearing season. And so at this time, Laban is three days' journey away. Okay, That seems to be the implication here. He's three days away, uh, helping his sons with the rest of the herd. And so this is the perfect opportunity, isn't it? It's the perfect opportunity for Jacob to get his family together and for him to leave in haste. And in verse 20, we're told that Jacob stole away unawares. It says in verse 20, and Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. He stole away unawares. Now this is not to imply or suggest that Jacob does anything wrong here. Okay? He's not doing anything wrong here by uh, this idea of stealing away. Rather, it's really speaking about the fact that he wisely takes this opportunity, doesn't he? Okay? There's wisdom here. Okay, he acts wisely, and he takes this opportunity while Laban is away to leave before Laban can stop him. Okay, before Laban could uh, try and convince him to stay and try and bind him to another contract, or perhaps before Laban could force him to stay, or even by force take everything off him. Everything that he had rightfully earned. You know, it's clear from verse 31 this, that this is exactly what Jacob's fear was. Okay, verse 31 it says, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure, thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. Jacob knew what Laban was like, didn't he? Okay, he would had 20 years of this. He knew what Laban was like and he was fearful that Laban wasn't going to just let him leave in peace. Laban was going to want confrontation. He was going to try and take everything from him by force. It would lead to a physical fight, a physical confrontation. Jacob wanted to leave peaceably, and so Jacob here takes this opportunity, doesn't he? Okay, he knows what Laban is like, and so he takes his family, he takes everything that belongs to him, not what Laban owns, he takes what is, his, what belongs to him, and he departs in peace while Laban is away, before Laban has a chance to find out. And in verse 21, we see that they cross the river Euphrates and they head towards Mount Gilead. So, so he fled with all that he had and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. So they cross over the river Euphrates and they begin journeying now southwest back to the region of Canaan. Okay? And, and in particular we're told to this Mount Gilead. Okay? Now this is a mountainous region. Okay, and it extends basically on the eastern side of the Jordan River there. Okay, on your maps, it sort of goes up the eastern side of the Jordan River, and that's where they're heading to. And the northernmost section of this this region is 500 kilometers away. And so this is quite a long journey, okay, that he has to undertake. Okay, if you start in that, around Haran there, it's about 500 kilometers for him to get with his family all the way back to Mount Gilead and on the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And it's going to take him about 10 days. Okay, Remember, he's got all of his family, he's got all of his herds before him, so they can't go all that fast, but they're going as fast as they can. And it's going to take them 10 days to cover this distance. And so by leaving while Laban is away, Jacob is really ensuring that they have a head start, isn't he? Okay, He's ensuring that they have a good head start, that they can put some distance between them and Laban. But there is one more thing we need to note here before we move on, and that is the little passing comment here in verse 19. See, in verse 19 we're told, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. It's almost a passing comment, isn't it? Sort of seems to be out of place with everything else we're reading about this departure. It's a passing comment. But you see, what it tells us is that while Jacob was completely honest in his dealing with Laban, Okay, and he was honest in taking only that which belonged to him. He didn't take anything that was laban's. He took only that which he had earned, only that which was his by rights, and he left in haste to leave peaceably. Rachel, she's not as honest, is she? She's not as honest. We learn here that she steals her father's idols or images. Now, the word images here is literally teraphim, and it speaks about small idol figurines. And there's some contention exactly what they were used for, but most suggest they were used for divination and also as household deities supposed to bring good luck to the household. But what it tells us is that Laban, even though he knew about Jehovah and acknowledged Jehovah, Laban was mixed in his faith, wasn't he? He had a mixed faith. He added to it these idol figurines, this idol worship as well, these household idols. And the fact that Rachel steals them here tells us that Rachel, like her father, has a mixed faith. She has a mixed faith. She knows about the Lord, and she want, but she also wants to hold on to these superstitious beliefs. She wants to hold on to the idol worship as well as worship the Lord. She wants to keep both. And we've already seen previously in chapter 30 that Rachel was less spiritual than her sister, wasn't she? Remember when we talked about that? You know, she was the one who was driven first of all to envy and to jealousy and she wasn't willing to wait upon the Lord for children so she gave Bilhah, her maid, unto Jacob so she might have children through her. And she was the one who basically led to all that contention in the home. She was less spiritual, less spiritually minded than her sister. She demonstrated a lack of faith and a lack of trust in the Lord there at chapter 30. And we see that again here, don't we? We see again here... The fact that she has a shallow understanding of the Lord, a shallow faith in the Lord, and so she steals these idols. She's struggling to give it up. These superstitions that she's learnt from her father. You see, Jacob, as I said, he was completely honest in his departure, wasn't he? Completely honest. He took only that which belonged to him, and, and in doing so, he's making sure that his testimony is still intact before Laban and everyone else. But Rachel here, by her actions... She has potentially jeopardized all of that, hasn't she? By her actions, she has potentially brought shame and reproach upon her husband and his name. And we'll come back and see that later on. We've got to keep that in mind, what she's done here. We see secondly now about Laban's pursuit. We've seen Jacob's departure. We've seen now Laban's pursuit. Look in verse 22. It so says, It was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. <clears throat> And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 22, we learn that it's not until the third day that Laban le- uh, learns that they've left. That he finally hears that they've departed. Now, as we mentioned, Laban is with his sons, shearing the sheep. He's three days away with the other part of the herd. And so it makes sense that it takes three days for him to learn, okay? If someone sets out as quick as they can, they rush, and they arrive on the third day to tell Laban the news. And what's Laban's response? Well, his response in verse 22 is to spring into action, isn't it? Verse 23, sorry. It says in verse 23, And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. <clears throat> We read here that Laban, when he hears this news, his response is to gather together his brethren with him and pursue after Jacob and and his family. You know, we can sense here that Laban, he is filled with wrath, he's filled with anger and indignation towards Jacob and towards, you know, his family when he learns this news. And, you know, Laban's not alone with his anger. His sons are sharing that anger. I mean, they already... As we saw last week in verse one, they despised Jacob, didn't they? Verse one, uh, the same chapter it says, and he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, "Jacob hath taken away all that was our fathers, and hath that uh, which was of our sorry, and of that which was our fathers hath he gotten all this glory." They despised Jacob, because he was getting more and more rich, and they were getting poorer, they despised him. And so they already didn't like him. And so when they hear this news, Laban and his sons, their their brethren, they are all filled with anger. They're not happy. And they all together gather together and they set out in hot pursuit of Jacob. This is not a pursuit out of love and concern. It's important we understand that. This is not a pursuit out of love and concern. He is not chasing after them as he will tell us he is. He's not chasing after them because he missed out on saying goodbye. Laban is setting out here with this band of men with the intent of doing Jacob harm, with the intent of bringing Jacob back by force or stripping Jacob of everything by force. There is intent here to his actions. And from the end of verse 23, we learn that Laban and his men, they push hard to catch up with Jacob, don't they? It says in verse 23, And he took his brethren with him, and pursued after him seven days journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. In just seven days, Laban and his men catch up. Now we said before, it took Jacob and his family ten days to go from Haran down to here. Okay? Laban is three days journey away, and he covers the same distance in seven days. See, the point is, they're pushing hard, aren't they? Okay, they are going as hard and as fast as they can to travel this distance, this vast distance in the shortest amount of time. You see, they're enraged, aren't they? You see, men, when they are enraged, when they are filled with anger, they will go to great lengths to accomplish anything, won't they? To accomplish their purpose. The commentator Morris notes, this Laban and his sons had no intention of letting Jacob take all his flocks to Canaan and were resolved to take them from Jacob by whatever force was necessary, quite likely they also intended to slay Jacob, especially if he tried to resist them. That is their evil intent here. That is what they're doing. Okay? They are filled with wrath and indignation. They hate Jacob. And that's why they're pushing so hard to catch up. And so their intent was one of evil, and God himself knew it, didn't he? God knew Laban's Intent, and that's why we see God now intervene in verse 24. Verse 24 it says, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Basically, the night before Laban is going to overtake Jacob and confront him, God appears to Laban in a dream and he tells him, Hands off. That's what he does. The Lord warns him. He says not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. And basically, the Lord says to Laban, you know, you're not to go there and try and compel him to come back with you. You're not to go there and harm him in any way or approach him for leaving. Basically, God makes it clear to to Laban, he says, Jacob is under my protection. Jacob is doing my will. He's doing what I told him to do. Don't touch him. Hands off. You know, with this meeting with the Lord, God puts everything that Laban had been seeking to do, God puts it all, a sparrow in the works, doesn't he? God halts it all. Brings everything to a halt that Laban had been planning. Matthew Henry writes this, Laban during his seven days march had been full of rage against Jacob and was now full of hopes that his lust would be satisfied upon him. But God comes to him and with one word ties his hands though he does not turn his heart. With one word, God speaks to him and God ties his hands. He says, you can't touch him. It doesn't change Laban's heart, as we'll see, but he can't do what he wanted to do. He can't carry out his intent. And, you know, this is yet another example in the word of God of how God watches out for his people, isn't it? It's a wonderful example of how God watches out for his people. You know, Jacob probably had no idea Laban was right behind him, that he going to see him the next morning. But God did. God knew where Laban was camped. God knew he was right upon him. God saw everything that Laban did. He saw everything that was in Laban's heart and God acted to protect his servants. Even though Jacob didn't know God was acting, God was acting, wasn't he? Now back in Genesis 28 verse 15, God had made him a promise to watch over him and be with him wherever he went. Just go back there, Genesis 28. Genesis 28 and verse... 15. It says, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Remember that? As he left Canaan, this was the promise from the Lord. God said, I will be with you, and I will bring you back safely. I will watch over you. God keeps that promise, he doesn't, He? yet again. God keeps his promise to Jacob as he protects him from the evil intent of Laban. You know, like Jacob, we can be confident that the Lord is watching over us, can't we? We are his children. We, we belong to him. He's our heavenly father. He's watching over us. In Psalm 34 and verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. He's watching over us, watching over our circumstances. And nothing is hidden from our God nothing. He's aware of every situation we fe- we face, he- and He is constantly acting on our behalf even when we can't see it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Even when we can't see it, God is acting behind the scenes. He's in control. And so that gives us confidence just to trust Him and, and know that if something happens, well, God allowed it, didn't He? God knew it was coming. God's in control of the situation. Love, we can praise God today like Jacob. We are in His God is watching over us taking care of us every single day and Laban now with the warning of God in his ears he overtakes Jacob and he confronts him and that's our third point this morning we see now Laban confronting Jacob Laban confronts Jacob let's read verse 25 it says and Laban overtook Jacob and now Jacob had pitched his tent in, in the mounts, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done? Thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives, taken with the sword. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and steal away from me? And didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with myrrh, and with songs, and with with tabret and with harp? Thou hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt but the God of your father, spake unto me yesterday night, saying, Take thou heed, that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And now though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou saw longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? The next morning, we see now this confrontation take place. You know, with God's words still ringing in his ears, Laban overtakes and he confronts Jacob. Yeah, Laban, he's still bitter. He's still angry towards Jacob. But now he's also frustrated, isn't he? He's now also frustrated because God has tied his hands. God has warned him, don't touch him and touch my servants. He's warned him against carrying out his evil intentions. His hands are tied. And so knowing the warning from God, Laban now proceeds with a hypocritical speech, if you like. Let's read his hypocritical speech there. Verse 26, it says, And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and didst steal away from me, and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with myrrh, and with songs, and with tabret and with harp? And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast not done foolishly in so doing it's a hypocritical speech isn't it Laban presents himself here as a concerned father a concerned grandfather he pretends to be upset that Jacob has snatched away his daughters and his grandchildren and that's the reason why he's come we know Jacob didn't care about his daughters verse 15 I'll we'll go back to verse 14 and Rachel and Leah answered and said to them, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath, not, and hath quite devoured also our money. He didn't care about his daughters. He'd already shown that. He didn't care about them one bit. He devoured all of their inheritance, everything of their dowry. He didn't care about them. And yet he comes down and he says, Oh, I'm a loving father, a loving grandfather. That's why I've come. You didn't give me a chance to kiss them. You didn't give me a chance to say goodbye. And he points the finger at Jacob, doesn't he? He says, if you'd just told me you were leaving, I would have thrown you a party. If you just told me you were leaving, I would have rejoiced with you. Verse 27, Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me? It didst not tell me that I might have sent, sent thee away with myrrh and with songs, with tabret and with harp? He says, Jacob, if you'd just come and asked me, I would have thrown you a party. would have had a big farewell to say goodbye. Now Matthew Henry writes this, he pretends that they would have been treated with respect at parting. Note it is common for bad men when they are disappointed in their malicious projects to pretend that they design nothing but what was kind and fair. When they cannot do the mischief they intended, they are, they are loath, it should be thought that they ever intended to do it. That's, that's Laban here. He's trying to save face now, isn't he? He's trying to save face, he's trying to cover up his intent, the reason for making such a hasty journey over seven days. And he tries to shift the blame to Jacob too, doesn't he? You notice that? He's trying to shift the blame onto Jacob here. Point the finger at him, make him look like the bad guy. But the truth of the matter is, you don't pursue after someone as hard as he had if you were coming just to say, why don't you let me throw you a party? You don't pursue that hard with a band of men unless you're intending to do them harm, intending evil. And God knew this, which is why God rebuked him. Now this whole speech here was merely feigned concern. He's feigning this concern, trying to cover up his intentions and, as I said, point the finger at Jacob. And now having acted like a concerned father and grandfather, he then boasts in verse 29 that it was within his power to do Jacob harm verse 29 it <clears throat> says it is the power sorry it is in the power of my hand to do you hurts but the God of your father spake unto me yesterday night saying take thou heed <clears throat> that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad it's true God did speak to him but not for the reason Laban suggests Laban says you've done the wrong thing at the end of verse 28 there thou hast now done foolishly in so doing points the finger at Jacob, he says, you've done the wrong thing, you should have come and talked to me, we would have thrown you a party, it's in my right now, I'm in the right, you're in the wrong, it's in my right to do you harm, but God's told me not to, God's told me to be gracious towards you, you see how he's twisted around here, he makes it seem like, yeah, God did talk to him, but not for the reason Laban presents, not for the reason he presents to Jacob here, and to the whole crowd, to everyone listening, you see, with this whole conversation here, Laban is trying to place himself in the rights. He's presenting himself as a loving, concerned father, father who simply wanted to say goodbye, and Jacob, you've done the wrong by me. And then he concludes his speech in verse 30 by accusing Jacob of being dishonest. He accuses him of theft. Verse 30 it says, And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore. Hast thou stolen my gods? Basically, what he says now to Jacob is he says, Jacob, I understand why you want to leave so quick. I understand your desire to go back to your father's house. I get it. But why did you have to steal my idols? That's really what he says here. Why did you have to be so dishonest and steal from me? Why did you have to do this? Now, this really concludes his charade, doesn't it? He's presented himself as merely a concerned father, seeking to say a proper goodbye and he's hurt that Jacob would steal from him. After all these years, after all I've done for you, Jacob, why would you steal from me? You see, this is all about pointing the finger at Jacob, isn't it? It's about pointing the finger at Jacob. Making Jacob look bad before everyone else. Remember, everyone's around. Okay, all the family's there. Both sides are there. Laban had been forbidden by God to do him any physical harm to try and get even and make him return to her hand or strip him of everything. God had said, you can't do that. And so Laban does what he sees as the next best thing. I'll destroy Jacob's reputation. Destroy him. He presents Jacob, as I said, as the one in the wrong. He presents him as an unloving, ungrateful son-in-law and more terribly, a thief. You see, this is about destroying Jacob's reputations and saving face for himself. Now that brings us now fourthly to Jacob's response. We see Jacob's response there in verse 31. It says, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peraventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. Now Jacob's listened. He's listened as Laban has feigned concern for his daughters. He's listened as Laban has made him look like an ungrateful, unloving son-in-law and accused him of theft. And Jacob now responds and he begins by making it clear why he left so suddenly. You know, Laban had asked the question, why did you leave? He takes the opportunity, doesn't he? and He gives the answer. In verse 31, he says, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Peraventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. Jacob declares that he was afraid of what Laban would do. He was afraid that Laban would take by force his wives and everything else from Jacob. And as we've seen, this was not an unfounded belief, was it? Not an unfounded belief. He'd he'd had 20 years of getting to know what Laban was like, of experiencing Laban's deception. It was not an unfounded belief, and we've seen Laban in his anger come to do him harm. It was not an unfounded belief, and so Jacob, rather than want to fight with Laban, rather than come to blows, rather than have a physical confrontation with the other side of the family, he sought to live quietly and peaceably. That's what he's done. And that's what he tells everyone here. He says, I sought to live, leave peaceably and quietly without confrontation. And you know, this answer is really for the benefit of all listening, not just Laban, isn't it? It's for the benefit of all listening. You see, perhaps there were some amongst the family or indeed amongst the, the servants who didn't know the full picture, didn't know the full story of what had happened. And you know, perhaps there were some who hadn't seen Everything Laban had done unto Jacob. And so after hearing Laban's speech, they were somewhat swayed and they started to think, Jacob, you're a terrible person. They've started to to wonder whether Laban's telling the truth. And so Jacob here makes sure that everyone knows the real reason he left. Laban and his dishonesty and his terrible treatment of him and his family. You know, Laban had slandered his name and Jacob here with meekness defends it, doesn't he? with meekness with one simple response he defends his name and then he addresses the second accusation of stealing look in verse 32 with whomsoever thou findest thy gods let him not live before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them Jacob now addresses the accusation of stealing of being dishonest And he declares boldly and honestly, he says, I know nothing of these stolen idols. That's what he says. He says, I know nothing of it. And he is so confident that no one in his family would have done this, in his company would have done this, that he says, if it's found on anyone, you can put them to death. That's how confident he is here, that no one will be found with these idols. You see, Jacob had no idea that Rachel had taken them, did he? He didn't know. He didn't know, he honestly believed that Laban would not find them amongst his possessions. In fact, he's so confident of his innocence, that he invites Laban to search his stuff for anything that doesn't belong to him. You notice that? Verse 32, With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren, discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. He's so confident of his innocence and of his integrity. The fact that he is only left with what belongs to him. He's not stolen anything. He says, Laban, you can search my stuff. And if anything is yours, let us know. You know, once again, this is a declaration before all present. It says before the brethren. He's calling upon the brethren here to be a witness to his integrity, to his honesty, to the fact that he is just and he has not done anything wrong by Laban. Gil writes this. This he declared before the men that Laban brought with him, Whom he also calls his brethren. And these he appeals to as witnesses of his honesty, integrity, and fair dealing, being conscious to himself that he had taken nothing but what was his own. He's confident of his integrity, and so he says, Laban, you can search and let it be declared before everyone here what I've taken that's yours. You see, Laban had accused him of being dishonest. And Jacob wanted everyone present to know that he'd only ever dealt honestly with Laban through all those years and even now in leaving and so he invites this search and we see Laban now carry out the search look in verse 33 it says and Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants tents but he found them not he carries out now this search you know for the idols but also for anything that Jacob's stolen that belongs to him and you can see Laban here, can't you? Entering into the tent, and he's not just having a little polite look, rummaging through everything. You know, rummaging through everything inside Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, all the, the other tents around, the handmaidens. You can see him going around the whole campsite, up, turning everything upside down, looking for these idols, but also anything that belongs to him. And of course he finds nothing. He finds nothing because Jacob is a man of integrity, because Jacob has been Honest and fair in his dealings with Laban. And at last he comes now to Rachel's tent. Verse, The end of verse 33 there it says, Then he went out of Leah's tent and he entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise up before thee. For the custom of women is upon me. And he searched found not the images. Now we read now, we've entered Rachel's tent. And as I said earlier, this has the potential to destroy everything, doesn't it? Her one action has the potential to destroy his whole reputation before not just Laban, but everyone. Give Laban the opportunity to point the finger at him and say, see, I told you, he's a dishonest liar. Rachel's actions has the potential to unravel it all. And she conceals the idols here by putting them in her camel's Furniture which speaks of the the saddle and the basket the stuff that was put on the camel as she rode And that's evidently in her tent at this time, and she's sitting on it with the idols hidden inside So that Laban wouldn't look too closely and she uses the excuse that she can't get up because she's not feeling well It's her period so she says I can't rise up before you And her deception works Laban fails to find the idols but you know, it's really God who makes sure he doesn't find them, isn't it? It's really God. You see, it's by the grace of God that Laban doesn't find these idols because if they had been found, imagine the damage that would have been done. After those 20 years of faithful service, of being an upright man, a godly man, a faithful man, and when he left, he only takes what belongs to him. He's done everything right. After 20 years, it could have all been destroyed right now with Rachel's actions. Because who would he have blamed? Not Rachel. He would have blamed Jacob. Jacob would have borne the brunt of Laban's wrath. He would have have pointed his finger at him and said, see, I, I told you so. He would have proved his points that Jacob was a liar. Morris writes this, God allowed it to succeed knowing that Jacob himself was innocent in the matter. And that its discovery would have fallen hardest of all on Jacob. Laban would have charged him with theft and lying. This is the grace of God. God preserves his servant's integrity. God allows Rachel's deception to work so that Jacob would be vindicated. So that Jacob would be proved to be honest before Laban and before all these witnesses, all of his brethren. You see, throughout the whole situation, God had been with Jacob, hadn't he? He'd been with Jacob through this whole situation. He was watching over him. He was caring for him. He knew that Laban was pursuing him with evil intent. But he also knew that Rachel had stolen his idols, didn't he? And God was in control. God was watching over him. And God made sure that he was vindicated in the end because Jacob was honest. He was upright. Jacob had been nothing but honest in his dealings with Laban for 20 years, and God now vindicated him in the sight of all present. And God was glorified. And beloved, may we, like Jacob, always seek to be honest. Always seek to be just and and fair in our dealings with men. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, we're told to walk honestly before the unsaved. Let's just turn over there. 1 Thessalonians 4, (coughs) Verses 4, verse 12, it says, well, starting verse 11, it says, and that you may study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and they may lack of nothing. Walk honestly to them that are without, the unsaved. Walk honestly. In other words, we are to conduct ourselves decently, with integrity, maintaining a good testimony, a good reputation. Why? Because the unsaved are watching, aren't they? The unsaved are watching. And if we fail to maintain that good testimony, then we're going to hinder the gospel message, aren't we? We bring reproach not just upon ourselves, but upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason that Paul in Philippians 1, verse 27 says our conversation is to always reflect the gospel. Let's just turn there. <coughs> in Philippians 1, Verse 27, another verse I'm sure we know well. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Our conversation, our conduct is to always reflect The gospel. The truth of God's word. Our conduct in everything we do, whether it's at work, or at home, or at school, wherever it is, our conduct is to be a reflection of the Lord. So that we might be blameless before men. Isn't that what Philippians 2 verse 15 says? and We'll conclude here. Philippians 2 verse 15 says, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a perverse, a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless and harmless in this wicked and perverse world. See, the unsaved are watching how we conduct ourselves, aren't they? They're watching, and they're looking for anything they can hold on to and say, Aha, I told you so. You're a hypocrite. You're a liar. They're looking for anything they can hold on to that doesn't reflect... Christ doesn't reflect what we teach and what we believe, what we say we believe. This is what Laban sought to do with Jacob, wasn't it? He sought to drag his name through the mud. He sought to bring reproach upon Jacob's name and thereby upon the Lord. But Jacob was proven to be blameless and honest. And even when he was falsely accused, what did God do? God vindicated him. You know, beloved, may we, like Jacob, seek to walk honestly before men. To make sure our conversation, our conduct reflects the gospel so that we might be blameless before men. And even when they do falsely accuse us, God will vindicate us, won't he? God will vindicate us. But we just need to make sure that we are honest, that we are faithful in our conversation, our conduct, that it reflects the gospel so that God might be glorified in everything that we do. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for your servant, Jacob. And Lord, for his testimony, his faithfulness over so many years. And Lord, as he left, he could leave with integrity. And even when his name was brought through the mud, Lord, you vindicated him. You proved him to be an honest, upstanding man who had honored you in everything you'd done. Lord, may you help us to learn from this. May you help us to make sure our conversation is becometh the gospel. Lord, so we might be blameless and harmless before men, that we might honor you in everything we do and not bring reproach upon your holy name. Lord, bless as we close. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.